Let's continue before the Lord as we hear his voice. I'm going to read Isaiah 52, verse 13, through the end of chapter 53. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here's our text, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that it, before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is God's Word. As I said, our, our, uh, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6 of chapter 53. And uh, let's ask three questions about these remarkable verses. One, 
Why does this passage matter? Two, what is the prophet saying? And three, how can we change places with our substitute? So why does this matter? What is he saying? And how do we get inside that? How do we, how do we change places with our substitute? First of all, why? Why does this matter? Because everybody needs a substitute. That's what this is all about. It's someone else. It's about someone else who stands in as our substitute and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is about freedom. (laughs) This is about the only way to get free from the destructive patterns in our hearts, in our families, in our friendships. This is about God's way to create a whole new world. G.K. Chesterton, in his book Orthodoxy, said the modern world is not evil. In some ways, the modern world is far too good. The vices are indeed let loose, and they do damage. But the virtues are also let loose, and they do more terrible damage. The world today is too good. It's way too good. It's too good for Jesus. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He just doesn't have anything to say to righteous people. And they don't understand him. But sinners love him. This passage matters because it is God's way for us to be unrighteous enough to need Jesus. (laughs) It tells us God's way to free us from the, the deepest impulse in our hearts. You know what the deepest moral impulse inside me and you is? The deepest one. Making excuses. It isn't just our sins that we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from our goodness. Our best excuses. We cling to our goodness because we feel we have to. Admitting sin isn't easy. What, is, what are people going to think? So in our thoughts, in our emotions, in, in, in our words, what we do is, without even realizing what we're doing, we shift the guilt, the, the guilt we feel so deeply. We shift it over to other people. We make them the problem. But at that moment, when we do that, and we just we go there. When we do that, what we're really saying to that other person is, would you please be my substitute? I'm so sad. But it can't be my fault. That's too threatening. So, so let's make it your fault. Let me dump on you to ease my burden. I need a substitute. And that's, that's the way we're wired to think. But it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> it doesn't lift our hearts. It only makes things worth. Whoever solved a problem by making somebody else the problem? Only God. God provided a real substitute. So that now we can own up to what we've done without being devastated. It's embarrassing, but it doesn't have to be devastating because... Somebody else was devastated for us. 
I got a speeding ticket a few months ago. So uh, I had to go to driver school, you know. You do know. And uh, we all know. And so the teacher, I should have seen it coming. The teacher polled us, took an informal poll of the class, and invited us to rate ourselves as drivers on a scale of 1 to 10. And the class average was 7. We're good drivers. You know, superior drivers. 7 on a scale of 1 to 10. Then, should have seen it coming, then she pulled us on our assessment of all the other drivers on the road. And the average was around 4 to 5. And we were there because we'd gotten tickets. Isn't that the way we are? You know, we make generous allowances for ourselves, scrutinize others. (laughs) Friedrich Nietzsche was not a Christian, but he was very honest about himself. He wrote, I did this, says my memory. I cannot have done that, says my pride. Eventually... My memory yields. (laughs) Why are we like that? Because we know we cannot bear our own guilt. If we have to answer for what we've done, we're sunk. Jesus Christ says to every single one of us, you need a scapegoat. I'm your man. Jesus says to every single one of us, it is my professional business to bear the brunt of what other people have done. Interested? Well, how can we say no to that? (laughs) Who doesn't need that? In the Book of Common Prayer, um, wow, this was good, strong, industrial strength theology here. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these are misdoings. Now listen to this. Here's the last sentence in the paragraph, in the prayer, okay? This helps us. They understood what a weight sin is. The remembrance of these our sins, the remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable, unbearable. This passage in Isaiah matters because God is telling us how our grievous memories and intolerable burdens can go away forever. God is saying, your your real problem 
is not just oppressive, guilty feelings within yourself that you try to offload onto other poor sinners. Your real problem is objective moral guilt before me. God says in His Word, I am so angry at your sin, and there is nothing you can do about it. You're in way too deep to get yourself out by now, and you know it. And then God says, I love guilty people. And in Christ, God says, I open the way to free you from your danger before me. At his cross, Jesus took the place of guilty people. He bore real human guilt far away. Will you receive what he has done? So if, if the thought has ever dawned on you, boy, I wish I could trade in my record for a better one. You can. And it's not a mind game. It's something God gives. What would it be like to feel forgiven? What would it be like to live, to to walk through this world in our homes at the office, in our church, in all settings, what would it be like to live as forgiven people? What would it be like to change the subject from what's wrong with someone else to what's wonderful about Christ and then also what's admirable about that other person for the sake of Christ. Hmm. Second point. Second point. What? What is the prophet saying? Well, each verse makes a point. Let's read each one carefully. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, as people stood around the cross of Christ, uh, they weren't cheering him on, they weren't singing to him to comfort him, uh, except for a few, they thought Jesus was getting what he had coming to him. But the truth was, and that's why Isaiah puts the word surely at the beginning of the verse, the truth was... He was getting what we had coming to us there at the cross. It was our guilt that demanded his death. But the Bible says here, this is very interesting, and I just just noticed this. It just hit me, really for the first time, just recently. The Bible says in verse 4 that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah doesn't use guilt language until the next verse, verse 5. He uses experience language here in verse 4. Griefs and sorrows. What does Isaiah understand? He understands the fullness of what Christ bore for us at the cross. Both our real moral guilt before God and its deadly impact on us. 
In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, he makes this very clear. He's telling us in Matthew chapter 8 about Jesus healing people, giving them their lives back, a new lease on life. And Matthew quotes this verse to explain what Jesus is doing. He's, he, Jesus is a life-giving person. He's a renewing person. The death of Christ was the death of our death. The death of Christ was the death of our depression and tears and remorse and shame and compulsiveness and everything that just drains the life out of us. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, not just in the sense that he feels for us, though that's true, it's wonderfully true, but here in this verse, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows in the sense that he took, he he won for us, he purchased for us the richness and fullness of life forever in his presence in heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, he thought of everything. And he had... He went right down to the very root of it all. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Now... In verse 5, Isaiah is intensifying his language. We see words like wounded, crushed, chastisement. Jesus was whipped with blood-red stripes. He, What is Isaiah saying? He's saying that Christ bore our punishment to its full extent. He wasn't spared at all. God gave him no discounts when Christ paid for our sin. The Bible says He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up, abandoned Him for us all. Something profound happened at the cross that it's hard for us to look at. You know, do we, do we want to be loved this much? This deluge of love and wisdom and understanding and compassion and sacrifice coming at us from God through Christ. It's hard to endure. Something happened at the cross that was sacred and terrible and threatening and beautiful and saving. God's astonishing love went all the way to atone for our astonishing evil. If there'd been an easier way, God would have found it. But in fact, His remedy was complete So that if you are in Christ, this life is all the misery you're ever going to know. With his stripes, we are healed. That's substitution. Isaiah is not merely saying that Christ suffered with us. 
More deeply, he is saying Christ suffered for us in our place at the cross. God unleashed his holy, wise, perfectly assessed, fully warranted wrath against Jesus to satisfy the demands of his justice for us. We do the damage ultimately to God himself. What does God do? He provides the mercy in a way we'll never understand. We can think about it, but we'll never fully understand it. We will go through eternity thanking Him, but never fully understanding it. At the cross, the cost of our stupidity came down on Christ so that we could be free and clear with God forever. In verse 6, Isaiah shows us ourselves um, (laughs) wandering around like lost sheep, and he shows us God lovingly, solemnly working for us. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that metaphor of ourselves as sheep sort of wandering, um, you know, from one clump of grass to the next, that way of living feels natural to us. We don't even see anything wrong with it. Um, At the end of the period of the judges, about 300 years in biblical history, the biblical author of the book of Judges sums up that whole tragic era with this verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They didn't wreak havoc by doing what was wrong in their own eyes. They wreaked havoc by doing what was right in their own eyes. But they had no king. No shepherd to save them from their good intentions. What has God done? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now Isaiah is using the language of Old Testament sacrifice. God provided the sacrificial system throughout those hundreds and hundreds of years of the Old Testament as a kind of portrayal a kind of acted-out drama of the cross of Christ. And on the Day of Atonement, once a year in the fall, the priest brought, there was a goat provided. The priest would lay his hand hands on the head of this goat, and he would confess over the goat the sins of the people for the previous year. Every single one of them. He would confess it all. He would say it all. And then it was symbolic of that, all that guilt, all that sorrow, all that despair, all that destruction being passed over, transferred over to a substitute. This pathetic goat who, that was then led out into the wilderness in some remote place where it couldn't find its way back and it was let go. It was abandoned, never to be seen again. The scripture says, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself. That is a picture of the cross. Jesus Christ 
the perfect man, became the willing scapegoat for you and me. And it wasn't a human priest who laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus carried it away to a remote place, as it were, that we don't even want to think about. And he was abandoned. And for those terrible hours on the cross, God was laying on him the iniquity of us all. God in heaven was saying, during those, as he was saying to his own son, You are Peter the denier. You are Paul the persecutor. You are David the adulterer. You are Rahab the prostitute. And so many others. You are the scapegoat. And I lay their iniquity on you. Now take it to hell. And Christ did. Thirdly then, how? How do we enter in? Obviously, the gospel isn't about what we do for God. It's about what God does for us, isn't it? So how do we step inside it? How can we make it our own? How can we live by this? How can we live by this message of substitution moment by moment? God says, repent of your sins. Repent of your goodness. Let Christ be your substitute. And I will forgive it all for his sake. So, if you will receive Christ as your substitute with the empty hands of faith, God says that in his holy sight, your guilt is gone forever. And then, once you've come to that kind of clarity and decisiveness with Christ, then what you do is you just keep trusting Him. Just keep trusting Him, moment by moment. You just keep offloading your guilt onto Him. Keep offloading that guilt onto Him. And you will never again need to make some other poor sinner your bloody sacrificial victim. In fact, God will use you to spread freedom. God will use you to spread joy. God will use you to spread liberation to many others who don't understand this yet. Any takers? Anybody want to say, I'm in? Listen, if you've never come to that kind of clarity and decisiveness about Christ, could I lead you to Christ right now? Would that be okay? Um... I mean, you're not going to... I don't think you gain anything by waiting and delaying and putting it off. I don't... uh, Do you think you do? Could I lead you to Christ right now? Here's how... uh, you You just say to Christ, I believe. You have said this is who you are. I'm saying to you, I believe. And I need you. And I receive you. Take it away.
Just take it all away. Just lift it off onto your mighty shoulders. Won't you say that to him? Would you say it to him right now? Just with the prayer of your heart. I believe. And if you're already a Christian believer, he's here for you right now. What have you been what have you been bearing on yourself? What have you been offloading onto somebody else? Well, there's a better way. God says, I laid on him the iniquity of us all. We don't need to bear it. Christ is our substitute. Let's believe it. And you know what? We actually revere him and honor him by letting him bear it all. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we ask you to enable every single one of us to do honest business with you right now. We pray for that gracious capacity in Jesus' name. Amen.